As we get ready for this morning's message, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, we come before you and we cry out to you this morning. We love the name of Jesus. We speak the name of Jesus uh, over those that are feeling sick today and the name of Jesus over brokenness and pain that you may be walking through, Father, that we would find hope in the name of Jesus, that we would find life in the name of Jesus, that there would be a newness of life, that we would surrender our, our old ways, our old life, Lord, that you would break any strongholds in our lives, those strongholds of sin that we just feel like we cannot escape, Lord, we can through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, and we cry out to you. And so, Father, may you be real to us and shape us and transform us through your word. And, Father, help us to live out this, your word in this world, in this community, in this culture. Lord, that you would use us to shape the culture for your kingdom, for the goodness and the sake of your people, Father, for your love would just radiate through us. So, Father, we say thank you that you love us, that you lavish your love upon us. Help us to run deep into your grace and understand that there is a, a fountain of grace there for us. But Father, help us to be obedient to you, following your word. Father, we thank you for how you support missionaries as they have uh, busy schedules. And Father, as they're meeting with people and as they're sharing the gospel, we pray for fruit and the harvest, Lord. And we pray for that right here too, that you use us to, to share with the love of Jesus with anyone we come into contact with in this community. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Uh, we're going to be in Judges chapters 10, 11, and 12 today. Uh, we've been walking through Judges, and we made it through Gideon. We spent almost three weeks. We saw the ups and the rises and the falls of Gideon. And for a lot of you, as we go through Judges, you might be familiar with parts of Judges. Probably a lot of you have heard of Samson, right, and Gideon, maybe even Deborah, but I think a lot of you probably know very little about Jephthah that we're going to look at today in Judges chapter 10. And the reason is, is because it's a terrible, terrible, terrible story that's going to feel deeply unsettling to many of us. I don't know how many of you tell, you know, child, your children bedtime stories. Well, you know how you get to the end of the story, you kind of filter it upon which age a child you're with. Well, this, this one would be very difficult for your seven, eight-year-old, for many of us who are adults to really understand today. But before we get into it, I want you to know um, America has a pretty big love for hot dogs, okay? Do you, any of you like hot dogs? Go ahead, come on. There's some hands out there. Yes, we like our hot dogs. I got to tell you, on the 4th of July alone, Americans eat about 150 million hot dogs, okay? So put them end to end. That's from like here to Australia, okay? So we have a pretty big affinity for a, a hot dogs. I know some in our small group even have hot dog feeds for their whole neighborhood. They come over different parts of the year and they just feed them time and time again. We, those kids come and they go. But have you ever looked at the package of a hot dog? Okay, you probably don't want to, okay? As some of you ever watch those videos on how to, you're probably never going to want to eat a hot dog again after this, okay? But I'm going to tell you something, okay? On those wonderful cheap hot dogs you can get a real good deal on, the, here's the contents. Usually number one is what you'll see as mechanically separated turkey, okay? What the USDA defines that as 
is a pasty or batter-like poultry product manufactured by forcing turkey bones that still have attached edible tissue on them through a sieve at high pressure. It's a process called advanced meat recovery. Okay, mmm, who wants to go grill out some advanced meat recovery? Okay, and some of the other ingredients are uh, corn syrup, there is some beef in it, uh, salt, sodium phosphate, uh, sodium nitrate, and maltodextrin. Mmm, we need some extra maltodextrin, there you go. So it kind of makes your mouth water. The point is, okay, hot dogs are not a pure meat. All right, many would say they're not even really good for you, but Americans seem to like them. Here's the thing is sometimes we also like to have a cheap faith like a hot dog. Sometimes we take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and we make this concoction that kind of adds up to looking like a Christian when we truly, you know, really are spiritually toxic. We just have a little bit of everything to make us very dangerous. And that's where Jephthah is going to be today. All right, he got a little bit of the you know meat from the Christian faith, and then he got a little bit of you know uh, maltodextrin from the culture, and he mixed it all together, and this is what happens. So, chapter ten, verse six. If you have your Bibles, we're going to dig in there. Follow along. This is what it says: The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammonites, the gods of Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. Real quickly, if you're counting, that is seven gods. Okay, the number of completion or perfection in Hebrew is the number seven. It's kind of symbolic. They have now, Israel, the people of Israel, have completely abandoned God, in other words. They've fallen to their lowest point thus far. Verse 7, continue on. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. Now, this has been a familiar pattern that we've seen. If you've been studying along with us, that the Israelites serve false gods and they end up in slavery. But here there's a little twist I want you to see. The Israelites now actually cry out for deliverance to the very gods that have enslaved them. The Ammonites are the ones that have enslaved them and they are crying out to the gods of Ammonites to save them. So here's what you need to see. Some of us need to recognize this. When sin enslaves you, you know, sometimes what we do is we try to find deliverance uh, in kind of the same things that we put us into slavery in the very first place. That's how we dig it out. And some of you are saying, wait a second, I don't have any idols. I don't bow down to anything. Well, let me make this kind of relevant to you. It's not just what you, you bow down to. It's anything that you put, look to for power, joy, and significance apart from God. That's what an idol is. Anything you look to that gives you power, joy, significance, like uh, maybe, you know, success. When we have success, we feel power, and therefore, you know, I, sometimes we, we find that apart from God. Uh, money can be this way. Talents, our beauty, what we look for, you know, and what we look like, you know, those are all different things that we can find significance in. And I want you to know, in and of themselves, those things by themselves are no problem. It's when we start to look to those things instead of God. 
That's when we get in trouble, when we look to these things like power, money, significance, instead of God, and we find our strength and our joy in those things. So what do I mean by being enslaved by them? I mean that you really can never be happy until you have it, right? And you're going to do anything you can to get those things. So money, I'm going to go after it. Beauty, I'm going to go after it. Whatever it is, power, you're going to go after your name. Those are the things that we go after. And you obsess about it, right? To the point that if you, you never feel like you can have enough of it. And if you actually ever get it, the thing that you're wanting in your mind, you feel like you can't have enough of it. So then you are worried all the time that you're going to lose it, right? So then you make all these destructive choices to get more of it. Like, I need more money, so I'm going to you know, sacrifice my family or whatever it is that you're kind of put in that place of an idol. So maybe today you need to consider what are some of the idols, you know, that are maybe the idol that I've been serving and looking to in place of God is actually the thing that's wrong. Maybe you're, you know, the, re- the reason you're unhappy in love and you feel like you've never met Mr. Right because you ultimately aren't supposed to find your full happiness in him anyway, right? And so that's kind of what we need to realize that some of these, you know, idols we've, we've kind of played into. You know, sometimes maybe you're, say you're married and your spouse is complaining, hey, we never get to hang out anymore. I know it's, you know, you make more money than we used to, and that's a good thing. But you know what? Remember when we didn't have a lot? We used to go on dates and hang out, and, and you kind of realize that you've sacrificed some things. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, has an incredible verse on what sin looks like in the Bible. I'm going to read it for you. It says this, For my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is probably the best description of sin in in the Old Testament here. It says, one, it's rejecting God, and two, it's replacing God. And that's what we do in sin. We reject him and we replace God. And you think about, you know, uh, what do we do? We, we, we keep searching. So maybe your relationship with the Lord is a little bit broken. And, or maybe you haven't started relationships with the Lord. So what do you do? You dig over here. And you're digging in that relationship and you dig and you dig deeper and deeper and you're thinking, certainly I will find water that will permanently fulfill me, right? But the problem is you're digging in the wrong place, Right? We're not in the well of our Heavenly Father. We need to dig into that relationship with our Lord, and that's what can be very dangerous for us. We're going to continue on. Chapter 10, verse 10, as we go on. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. Verse 11, And the Lord said to the people of Israel, You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore... I will save you no more. Verse 14, go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. I just want to point out to you here in Judges, this is the first time God says no to them. Why does he say no? Do you guys remember the story of the prodigal? Most people know the prodigal story. So he goes off, takes his money and his wealth, and he goes off, lives his way, but then he hits rock bottom. He's out with the pigs, feeding the pigs, eating some of the food, and he's like, my, my father's servants had it better. So he goes back, and he has this really uh, repentant speech, and the Lord, he's about to recite it, and then he just comes running for him. That's because he has a repentant heart. 
Well, these people right here have no heart towards God. They just want God for what he can do for them. This is kind of a let me use you to get out of trouble, God. That's what they're doing here. So maybe this morning you need to ask a question for yourself. How are you and the, uh, the Lord doing? Are you asking God in a relationship with him because of what he can do for you? Or are you worshiping him because of who he is and how good he is and how deep his rich grace is for you today? So, I mean, a lot of people, when they come to a difficulty, what do we do? We cry out to God. And then when the difficulty goes away, some people will say, well, what happened to them? They were praying all the time. They were in the Word. They were loving, you know, just their faith was just shooting out of them. What happened to them? They say, well, maybe their faith wasn't real in the first place. They weren't worshiping God for God. They were worshiping to get something from God. That's their attitude in verse 10. Now we're going to see a repentant heart. Go to verse 15. This is what we see. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we've sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. 16, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. This is a different heart that we see. Verse 10, it was, we want, God, we want peace from you. Give us peace. That's what we want. We want something from you. Now they're saying, God, we want peace with you. And it doesn't matter if life gets better or harder. We want peace. We, you know, so we would rather, we want you. They really have this heart of repentance. And it's like, I don't care if life gets easier or harder. I just want the Lord. That's a heart of a repentant person. And so that's what we see now in verse 15. And um, then they say, uh, they repented, and it says, the Lord became impatient over the misery of Israel. I just love that verse. If you ever wonder if God hurts with you when you're going through a difficult time, that shows you he hurts with them. He's saying, I've seen enough. They've been hurt enough. He's, he's tired of their misery. And, he, and then he stands up, and this is what takes place. So chapter 11, verse 1. If you have chapter 11, we're going to dig in there. It says, Now Jepheth was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead, the Jepheth's father, had many other sons. And when his son, wife's sons grew up, so the ones he had with his wife, when those sons grew up, um, they drove Jepheth out and said, you are the son of a prostitute. Then Jepheth fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Worthless fellows collected around Jepheth and went out with him. Jepheth was a very rejected man, okay? He was driven out by his own brothers, and they said, you don't have any right to this. Take off. He flees to a faraway land called Tob. And there he becomes full of people that surround him, full of destruction. They become kind of like crime lords, and they go around as thugs beating people up. And that's what happens. Then, go to verse 4, it says, But after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And so the elders of Gilead went to bring Jepheth back and said, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. Now, do you think they really want him? They don't really, he's off, you know, they already kicked him out. It's like, we don't want you, we just want you to come back and fight for us. And he understands that. Verse 7 says this, but Jepheth said to the elders of Gilead, do you not hate me and, and drive me out of my father's house? 
Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? Jephthah responds just like God did. Hey, you don't really want me. You just want what I can do for you, right? So in verse 8, he says, no, 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 no. They say, no, we're really sorry this time. You just come back. You can be in charge of the house. You can be president, whatever you want. And so Jephthah agrees, and he comes back. And then at first, what he does as the leader, he tries to talk to the king of Ammonites. He tries to diplomacy. And he asks them, why are you attacking us, king? And the king of Ammonites says, because you took my land. And Jephthah responds with three points of reasoning. And they were pretty good points. I'm just trying to help you get some of this. You can read this as you go through chapter 10, 11, and 12. But what he says, first of all, he says, actually, the Amorites, not the Ammonites, but the Amorites, they are the ones that this is their land. And so your name's not even on the deed, so why do you have a problem here? And he says, you know, really get off your high horse, chill out. The second thing he says to him, he says, we are simply responding to the aggression. The, the, they attacked us. And so we decided to turn around and kick their tails. And they did. And so now that land is ours. God gave us that land. And so he's saying that's why we responded. And the third reason he gave them, he says, if this land, it was really a gift from your God, Kamosh, then why don't you, you know, why doesn't your God have the power for you to come over here and take it? And they say, okay, we will. And here we come. So here's what happens. Verse 30 of chapter 11. Let's continue on. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will give me the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. Verse 34, Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourine and dances. She was his only child, and besides her he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you've become uh, the cause of great trouble for me. For I've opened my mouth to the Lord, and I can't take back my vow. Verse 36, And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord, so do to me whatever, uh, according to whatever has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies and on the Ammonites." So she said to her father, let this thing, one thing be done to me first. Let me be alone for two months that I may go up and down uh, on the mountain and weep for my virginity and I and my companions. Verse 38. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months and she departed and she and her companions wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did with her according to his vow that he had made. Whoa, I told you, this is hard. This is very difficult. Some of the things that commentaries start to kind of excuse here and make it a little bit softer, some commentaries say, well, Jephthah must have assumed an animal was going to come through the door. But that doesn't make sense because, first of all, I want you to know, animals wouldn't have been kept in houses, so that wouldn't make sense. Then also he says, the first person that greets me. Okay, so he's definitely thinking the first person human person that greets me, he was thinking human sacrifice here. 
And the second thing, you know, some people say, well, he didn't really kill his daughter. She was just kind of um, had to pay the penalty by being unmarried for the rest of her life. Well, that, if that was true, that would have been really weird that he gave this two-month kind of hiatus. So that one doesn't make sense. He obviously intended and carried out to kill the first person that came through the door, and that was his daughter. He was expecting somebody else to come out. He was expecting like a servant to come out or maybe someone from military to come get his horse or his armor off, but she came through the door. So a couple questions. I know this is a difficult story I want us to consider. First, why did Jepheth make this vow? Uh, Two reasons I'm going to give you. Number one, this is how you would have pleased the pagan gods, okay? In this time, you offered sacrifices to gain their favor. So if you wanted to really make a great sacrifice in order to gain something great and favorable from the gods that you worshiped. And I want you to know, our God never demanded this, okay? In fact, he actually forbid it. In uh, Deuteronomy 18.10, he says, There shall be not found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Okay, so he absolutely forbid it. Some of you say, what about Abraham? Well, that was a test of faith and obedience. This is an attempt by Jepheth to pay God off for something, to negotiate with him. Totally different here. So what happened? Jepheth in his life had mixed so many sodium nitrates and maltodextrins of the culture that he looked like he had this faith when he really did not at all. The second reason I want to give you that why he may have considered to make this vow is that he also had been greatly desensitized to violence. Violence, okay, in those days, human life was cheap. That's what happened. I mean, it's, I know it's horrible, but according to, you know, the idol of military dominance, they would sacrifice lives at any time in order to make sure you won the battle. And that's just what took place. And I know it's horrible. It's unspeakably horrible. But friend, before we judge them so badly on their idol of, you know, violence towards humans, we have idols today, don't we? In our culture, we have friends, we have idols, you know, a lot of us live in this culture. I believe this culture says, just be true to yourself. Just be true to yourself, whatever it looks like. You know what? You know, if you haven't found love, you just break up that family. You go find, you know, the real love. You're on the search all the time because you're being true to yourself. That's what our culture says. Just be true to yourself. I got to tell you, if you guys want to know if I wanted to make national news, all I would have to do is leave my my wife and kids and, and, you know, start seeing another man. Because then I would be on the talk shows all around and they would be saying, you know what? Uh, look, it's okay. Look what's celebrating. He's being true to himself. Look at the price that he's paying for sacrificing. That's what's happening. Nobody would think about the devastation of my family. That would be completely insignificant. We think true love just means being true to ourselves, don't we? We see this time and time again all over through our culture. If it's not a convenient time to get pregnant, we say, well, you know, you do what you need to do because, you know, we don't want to wreck, you know, what you have in your future. Friends, that's what we're doing today in our society. Our culture does it today. It's very, very dangerous as well. The second thing I want you to see is why did he keep this vow? Okay, why did he make it? Why did he keep this vow? Maybe we could just excuse him for making this vow. He just said something stupid, okay? 
But he sat there for two months while she's up on the mountain going back and forth, and he still went through with it. Why? Because the same reason he made it is the same reason, you know, that he carried it out. He had no concept of the grace of God. He kept trying to earn God's favor. And friends, a lot of us try to do that too, right? But you know what? It's by his stripes that we are healed. Through the blood of Jesus, that's why we are healed. There's nothing you need to do. All we have to do is repent to him, receive him as our Lord and Savior. That's what, it's just like my sons, when they get a gift from me, it's just because they receive that gift. That's what it's like. God's favor is a gift. And, And we need to recognize there is only one way to please God, and that is faith. Faith in his grace. Faith in his loving kindness. It's nothing of works so that we can boast. Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9. There is only one deal God will ever make. And that is he will give you his righteousness for your absolute surrender. That's what he gives you. So that's the meat of the gospel. No poultry paste of culture mixed in with it. So Jeff S., I got to wrap this up. Jeff S. family, unfortunately, that was very disturbing, but it gets even worse. Chapter 12, if you want to uh, follow along, verse 1. The men of Ephraim, which would have been his own countrymen, okay, were called to arms. And they crossed to Zephon and said to uh, Jepheth, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and you didn't call us to go with you? We will burn your house over with you in it. So instead of, you know, diplomacy, working out a deal with them, he just says, men, let's go to fight. Let's get to war. So they gear up. Verse 4, then Jepheth gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when any of the fugitives from Ephraim said, let me go over the river, let me go back over there, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? And then they would say, uh, no. And they said in verse 6, they said to him, then say Shiboleth. And he said, they would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Okay, different parts of Israel had different accents, okay? And the people from Ephraim could not say the sh sound, okay? So they knew that. So they would say, say Shiboleth. And they couldn't. They would say Sibboleth. It would give them away. And when they recognized that they were speaking wrong, they, this is what happened. Then they seized him and slaughtered him there at the Jordan River. And at that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. In verse 7, it says, And Jepheth judged over Israel six years. They were in punishment and suffering for uh, 18 years, and now they've only been rescued in deliverance for six years. It's the first time that it was actually shorter. And then Jepheth the Gileadite died and was buried in the city of Gilead. Four quick lessons, if you want to write these down. Four quick lessons that we can get from this story. One, I want you to know, we are far more influenced by our culture than we realize. Here's the deal. Jepheth didn't realize that a lot of his outlook on God and life were shaped by the culture around him, that he had not been in God's word to really 
guard himself. He came up with this concoction of culture and what he thought and you know what the God had told him, and it really wasn't pure steak. It was a cheap hot dog of faith. So the question is, is where have you done this today? Where are you letting the culture so in? Because Christians take different takes about culture. Sometimes we go into it and we just say, okay, whatever. Let me learn it all. Let me take it all in. Whatever you got, I'll just be a part of it. And we kind of mesh it together. And then some Christians say, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Okay, I'm not going to your movies. I'm not going to your stores. We just kind of keep separate from it. But I really believe we are called to enter into it, but enter into it critically and biblically, okay? And what we can affirm, we try to affirm. And what we need to call out as being ungodly, we also have to call out. So in order to do this, friend, guess what? You got to know God's word. You got to spend time in God's word. We got to soak in it, know what it says so that we can really uh, know what parts of the culture are hurting us and transforming us and whittling away at our families and what, what is true and what is right. So we've got to dive into the word. Otherwise, it will end up costing us. And it cost Jephthah his daughter, and it cost 42,000 Israelites their lives. So we got to, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let God's word guide you in truth to recognize what is of this world and what is of the Lord. Number two, we need to also recognize that our idolatry can have devastating effects on people around us. All right? The impurities of Jephthah's faith cost a lot of people, including his daughter. And I got to tell you, you know, this weighs heavy on my wife and I. And, and so we understand the impurities in our lives, the idols in our lives can not only play effect on our families, but on the body of Christ. And that breaks our heart. And so, friend, the, the best thing we can do is say, Lord, show me these idols in my life. Show me them so that I can pray over them and, and purify myself and ask for forgiveness and transformation in those areas. Maybe you have some idols that have crept in. What areas do you need to pull out? And really the greatest gift we can give to you is a heart fully devoted to God. And so seek the Lord with everything. Go after him because these, these idols can have devastating effects on those around us. The third thing I want you to see real quickly is God's grace can be a hard thing to grasp. I, I just feel like we're hardwired to try to earn our salvation to earn favor with God. We do it. I think a lot of times we can even walk into church and say, Lord, I, I did so much for you this week. I studied, the, you know, the, I prayed, and then I, I even gave some. And, and Lord, so we just think, like, God, you kind of owe us. Like, I've earned so much. And friend, it's just not how it is. Because if we live our lives according to the law, here's the deal. The law is never done. You have to keep achieving. You have to keep working. You have to keep doing more. And that's what, you know, a lot of these other religions would say, keep working for the Lord in a relationship. Here's the gospel says, when you believe, it's done. It's all done. And then you have joy and freedom because of the gospel and the good news. So where are you adding kind of the sodium nitrate of works into the grace of God, the pure meat of the grace of God? I pray that you would understand and go deeper into his grace. And the last point I want to give you this morning is we need a better judge. That's been a reoccurring theme all throughout Judges. You see these judges, and they are broken. Jephthah was a savior. 
but he was a very broken Savior, not like the true Savior we needed and that Israel needed in Jesus Christ. But he gives us a picture of a true and a better judge that was coming, okay? So just like Jephthah, Jesus was driven from his brothers. He was, it says, despised and rejected by men. But unlike Jephthah, we didn't have to, they went and called him back. Jesus just comes running back. And when suffering gets too hard, he goes to the cross for you once and for all and paid that penalty. So Jesus also, he doesn't take us down to the Jordan River and say, hey, wait a second, can you say, you know, Sibboleth, correct? No, he took us to the cross and he says, you know what, I now say over you, peace and salvation. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. All of this points to a perfect Savior who was broken for you and I, the broken. That's who we have in Jesus Christ. That's the meat of Christianity. The solid meat is the grace of God received as a gift. So have you received it as a gift today? Let's pray, friend. Lord, we thank you uh, for this morning, and Lord, these are hard uh, passages to work through and try to understand and grasp what you're trying to teach us out of it. <clears throat> Lord, I just uh, I pray, Father, that we would seek you and surrender to you. I pray, Father, as we walk in the culture, that you would use us to be shaped by your word so much so that we're transforming the culture for Jesus. That's what we pray, Lord, that you'd use us in these schools and in these neighborhoods and in our workplaces, Lord, for, to shine the love of Jesus. Lord, we understand that there's probably some areas and idols in our lives. Lord, would you just show them to us? Would you reveal them to us so that we can see them and <clears throat> be convicted over turning those over to you and just going deeper into the grace of God, recognizing there's nothing we can do. We can't achieve this. We can't, you know, work harder for it. It's just a gift. And we receive that today. We put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a blessed week.